Well, 2022 was the most normal year for a while, but that doesn't mean it was non-eventful. Between the Inflation Reduction Act, Supreme Court Dobbs decision, big health tech acquisitions, and the continuing public health emergency and midterm elections, there was plenty to talk about. What will 2023 bring? Nobody really knows, do they? But we have some exciting predictions to share anyway. Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. David, you basically disqualified ourselves to actually make predictions since we don't know what's going to happen. I think we do. I think we've got some pretty good ideas about what's going to happen next year. And you shouldn't self-disqualify yourself. I predict that you will continue to be a skeptic. I'm hoping for the opposite, but I doubt it. Oh, John, I thought you were going to give me a little pep talk there for a minute. But, you know, let's, so let's look ahead. I agree we have some things to say. But let's look back too. you know, one of the things I like at this time of year, John, is I get these things from my apps that tell me what happened over the year, like Spotify Wrapped and Strava Year in Sport. At Care Talk, you know, we can do that too. We rose to become a top five healthcare show and you took a big new job. Um, you know, John, we had 1.6 million streams in 2021 so wow. far. That's up tw- up 25% and 165,000 total hours streamed. That's up almost 50% uh, since last year, John. And that's all by doing two fewer episodes, 56 instead of 58. What do you think of that? I think we're getting, we're, we, maybe people are willing to listen more if we talk less. Um, but David, let's, let's, let's get, let, I think there's a lot to be proud of. You know, I was in Chicago last week and a pharmacist, one of our, one of our leaders, uh, regional leaders of the Walgreens team was saying how much he enjoyed the back and forth and the topical nature of our healthcare questions. So I do think we're making a dent and I look forward to a, another fun year with you next year. But let's, let's, let's do look back because I do think that there is, uh, there's, uh, let's build on what, what, what we've okay. done and talk about not just the public health emergency and COVID, but what's next. I mean, I think my, 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 prediction, it remains my prediction, David, that virtual care, that all this talk about technology and medicine will revert to medicine and that virtual care will be care itself. And we'll talk more about the impact of how doctor, what doctors and, and all other clinicians are doing. And it's going to be omni-channel, whether it's text or video or voice, and it's just going to be integrated into healthcare. And, and we're, we're going to stop taking the innovations of the 20th century as new and or novel and ta- and start thinking and more more thoughtfully measuring how we get better outcomes for lower costs. I mean, are you still a skeptic about technology, David? John, I agree with your prediction about, you know, virtual care becoming care over time. I think in the meantime there's a few things to prove. One is like meaning I don't think it's all going to happen in 2023. I think there's some things that need to be proved first, John. One is whether virtual primary care is really realistic, virtual first, or is, are we really just mostly dealing with urgent care? And then when you deal with specialties, is this going to be something that you can really do with virtual care, or is it really just going to be sort of a secondary channel for established patients? Those are things that I think we have to uh, consider. I don't hear a con- significant disagreement there. Virtual care will be care, and we're going to stop treating it as novel. David, what is your Next prediction. What is prediction number two for our the Care Talk team? So prediction number two, John, I should should get under your your skin a little bit, which I think healthcare staffing shortages will come to an end. You know, everywhere we hear today about big shortages, doctors, nurses, parking attendants, 
But I think what's going to happen, John, is people are going to say they need to work and employers are going to find creative uh, solutions to improve the situation as it relates to nurses. Um, if there's a bit of recession, a lot of nurses are second incomes within families and they may come back into the workforce and there's going to be a plethora of nurses and the job shortage. Well, I'm, I'm impressed with the, the fact that you're expanding your vocabulary to words like plethora, but plethora is not what we are going to be faced with. You know, nearly a third of all doctors and tw- a third of all nurses and 20% of all, 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 all doctors are feeling really burnt out. The demands are going up. Children's hospitals are overwhelmed. It's hard to get nurses to come to the home, not because they don't want to, but because there aren't enough nurses. Our immigration policy is still screwed up. There's tens of thousands of clinicians around the world who would love to work here, but our our immigration system doesn't move fast enough to accommodate that. There's 10,000 people turning Medicare eligible every day. David, you're just plain wrong. Those shortages will continue. I'm hoping that uh, all these technology things that we were talking about will extend the and, and ease the burden. But we're going to be facing, I think, the, the healthcare staffing burden for the next few years. All right. Well, John, since you dismissed my number two, I want to take number three as well. <clears throat> Here's another one you're going to disagree with, though. So I think that in 2023, Medicare Advantage will lose its luster. You know, people have been real big on Medicare Advantage. It's going to be probably half or more of all the Medicare uh, eligible folks are going to be in Medicare Advantage, but it's starting to take some lumps. You know, it's be- being called managed care. It's being pointed out you can't choose your own doctor. People are saying, well, you know, the those that are marketing it, not necessarily the plans themselves, but brokers and others are are misleading the public into thinking this is a government program using the Medicare logo and so on. I think Medicare Advantage, John, I don't know that its days are numbered, but I think it's going to at least lose its luster. And that's not as big of a word as plethora, but it's also I, like, it's I pretty impressive. There, there is, there is, there is, I'm going to, I'm going to, I has, I'm, I'm stuttering here because I hesitate to give you credit on this one, but I think you deserve it. I think that the, the, the brand, the Bring brand on, um, positives of Medicare Advantage are based a lot on the genuine fondness uh, and support that people have for traditional Medicare but don't mis- mistake the fact that Medicare Advantage for those members in those plans, coordinated care with a doctor that they know and trust and a system that actually pays attention to them, um, is, 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 is not just succeeding because of the, the, the brand stuff. And I think there's a legitimate argument that there needs to be a distinction between managed care and traditional Medicare so that Medicare eligibles understand the difference. That, that that that's a legitimate gripe and criticism, but managed care works. I mean, they're they're and, and increasingly, the 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 benefits and the costs for the individual Medicare beneficiary are actually better under Medicare Advantage than under traditional Medicare. You know, over the last ten years, all of those copays and deductibles in traditional Medicare continue to go up, and the cost of Medicare continues to go up. So I don't think it's. Uh, I think it may have a a regulatory comeuppance, but luster it it will not lose. Well, John, since you were nice to me, I'm going to give you a little support for your argument, Okay, which is to say, okay, Medicare Advantage may have its challenges, may have some things that people don't always uh, love about it. However, we are not going to solve our cost and quality problems with traditional Medicare. And if it's not Medicare Advantage, you tell me what it's going to be. All right. So I'll, I'm, 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 I'm giving you a little support there, John. That's your early Christmas gift. <laughs> so David- we, we, we've got to we've got to talk a little bit about value based care. 
What do you predict about value-based care? You know, that's care on a budget. It's this, all of this episodes of care. It's where people get paid more on a per life or per engaged member or per, or per procedure, like a knee procedure, than actually paid, you know, for every transaction and test and, and, and meeting and visit they do. So, John, my prediction there is that value-based care is going to continue to make incremental advances. Now, it does tie into the Medi- oh, Medicare Advantage. Oh, I mean, that's that's the best you can do. Incre- you, cl- you're a closet incrementalist. Is that what you're, is so, that what you're telling me? I'm going to say, John, I'm, I'm going to have to take your gift back, by the way. But the uh, with Medicare Advantage, I think a lot of the value-based care is actually occurring there. What I like, and the reason I say progress, don't, don't focus on the incremental. I said progress. So, there's more provider groups that are setting up to take shared risk. So, you know, you, you, ha- you can't just take a regular physician that's getting fee-for-service and all of a sudden they can take risk. They can't really do it. They have to have uh, the support to have it. And then you've got companies that are out there like uh, Clarify, which we'll be speaking uh, with, the, with the CEO, Jean Drun, in the, in the new year, Credo that we both advise uh, that are enabling this with data and analytics that say, now we have this framework, this idea of value-based care. Now we can put it uh, into we can make it reality. So I expect to see that incremental. And John, maybe for 2024, we'll be saying it's going to take over and be everything. But yeah, progress, incremental. Oh, that's not really much of a prediction. I mean, I think you can do better than that. I think value-based care is going to make big gains because we have to move to a budget. I mean, obviously, uh, Walgreens has invested in Village MD, which is a, uh, a an important and, and, and a leading value-based care, primary care group, but you're going to see more of that. There's plenty of other competitors in the market like Agilon and Privia that are, that are really interesting. I, I, think it's, I think it's making bigger progress than those of you who have your heads firmly planted in the past will, 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 be, will, be, uh, will be aware of. David, what about home-based care? I mean, obviously I'm biased there. I think that's, yeah. that's the future. What's going to happen with home-based care in 2023? John, so I think that's be our prediction number five, and I'm 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 wary of of making any incremental uh, predictions. So I'm going to say home health care will become super important in 2023. You know, I think what we're going to find is that people now have gotten used to being at home during the public health emergency. Hopefully, that will end. They'll have the ability to go out, but they'll say, you know what, it makes sense to be here. This is where it makes sense. It also makes sense for people to be observed in their home environments. Um, it's going to be more cost-effective and better quality. I also see that there are companies that are now taking this home-first approach and saying, let's let's re-examine our assumptions about what can be done in the home and not. One company I saw mentioned uh, is Don't a fertility company. Don't do it. Don't now, John, I know <clears throat> I'll say that there's the male side of it, okay, which you don't need to come into the hospital in order to produce a specimen, uh, but also even on the ultrasound side, I thought the whole point of this prediction thing was so you could talk about home sperm sampling. Fine. So those of us who are of childbearing age, uh, you know, you could <laughs> you could check, you can do the the home sperm sampling. But also, John, believe it or not, the more interesting part um, is that uh, ultrasound and typically actually transvaginal ultrasound is used not on men, okay, but on women. Uh, I, you're getting confused here. First of all, you are of child rearing age, not childbearing. I think you get off of this. Like we agree on this one that you use this just to bring up the home sperm sampling. Let's be no, honest. Also, the home home ultrasound, John. Just think about it. It's uh, well. I think actually- let, 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 just 
you're just you're just focused too much on the midsection of, of our predictions. Um, what you need to think about, David, is the convergence, which is the underlying point you're making, of technology, which about monitoring and the miniaturization of tools and meeting the, the the consumers where they are, which is at the home where they want to get care, where the vast majority of, of patients want to heal and age. So David, you've been a bit of a critic, but also a partner to private equity and venture capital. What's going to happen to them in this more uh, in this hotter regulatory environment? Well, John, I know you're a little squeamish talking about, uh, you know, basic uh, sexual functions, but when it comes to private yeah, equity, just, you know, it's <clears> just it's the, just too much of a focus for viewers. I, I know, but you know what? That some of the most pornographic stuff probably occurs with private equity and venture capital, John. That's where the real excesses are. Okay, in the economy. Did so you just happened, did you just suggest the, a new for a, a new phrase, porn PE? I didn't suggest it, John. I think it was in your mind. No, I didn't suggest that. But what, what we'll say, John, is that private equity owns a lot of the economy, and they've been kind of in the in the background. And now, since healthcare is you know twenty percent of the economy or so, a lot of private equity involvement there. And one of the strategies that private equity uses is to try to make companies more profitable. And you know, often that involves increasing prices or having more consolidation. And there's going to be more scrutiny in the same way there is of Medicare Advantage, whether that's good or bad systemically for healthcare. It's good for the limited partners of the private equity firm. It may be good for the for the companies. But now there's going to be more scrutiny. And I think that uh, the the PE firms better be ready for that scrutiny that they're going to get. Yeah, I think that prediction is legit. But I want to make want to add a piece to it that all, all all I think what people need to be thoughtful about is there are there are, in the same way that there are good companies that are good fiduciaries and good caretakers of the sacred trust of actually working in healthcare, and there are bad companies. There are good PE firms and bad PE firms, and there are good investments and bad investments. And I I really hope that the 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 fact that the investment structure is different shouldn't be used to make a, do a kind of a tri- the tribal the kind of tribal takedown that you sometimes try on this podcast. The reality is there's a lot of good that all of this capital going into healthcare uh, has created. It's created some of the most innovative care companies uh, in America. I mean, HCA is a super successful, super high service organization. And I think so is the Cleveland Clinic, and they 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 exist in a for-profit and a not-for-profit world, but they both excel at what they do. And so I think, in the same way that there are good and bad public companies, I'm sure there are good and bad private companies. And I think everyone in healthcare should be ready for more oversight. Uh, you know, there's there's certainly one of the things we learned in the pandemic is when there's no oversight, people make bad decisions. And you saw it with nursing homes um, in New York. Um, you saw it in the the ways that uh, the hospital supply chains were managed, and I think that oversight, while uncomfortable for 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 leaders in business, uh, is really kind of necessary. And we that is one of the lessons from twenty two that needs to be carried into twenty three. And I think it'll be true of uh, different forms of finance. So, David, what do you think about um, artificial intelligence? I mean, it's certainly something you've relied on personally for many years. Yeah. You got to have something, you know, I, it's not coming out of the natural side of things. Uh, I think it's actually, John, I'm going to say here, I'm going to, I'm going to go negative at the, uh, you know. At, at, oh, at, no. At oh, a first. Oh, a first. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's going to sputter for now. 
Uh, but eventually, eventually it's going to prevail, but not in 2023. So you have some things that are, that are very good. Like there's, uh, there's tools that can use artificial intelligence to diagnose from based on somebody's voice uh, or their cough, what problem they have. I would love that right now, John, but I don't really want the diagnosis. I'd love the, the cure before we get to the, you know, the final predictions here. Uh, but it's, it's helpful, I think, also for you know, tough diagnoses. You hear things like this diagnostic odyssey, somebody with a rare condition. They may go from doctor to doctor over many years before they get the diagnosis. With proper AI tools, a number of factors could be put together and actually pick that out on the spot. That's where you're going to see some of the promise. One of the reasons I say it's going to sputter, John, is that we see in artificial intelligence, unfortunately, it relies on existing human regular intelligence data sets. Those have a lot of biases, and you can risk actually encoding the biases into a permanent artificial brain. could be a biased brain. I, 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 well, I, I, you should put your own biased brain aside for the moment while you try to make a prediction with a foot in two canoes, one saying AI is going to sputter the other, that is AI is intelligent. Make up your mind. I mean, I think that, I think what, what people, what's going to happen in 23 is more and more machine learning and intelligence will be embedded into care. And like technology in general and virtual, my comment about virtual care AI is going to matter and you're not going to know it because those that the, you're talking about, you know, encoding human bias. We've already got human bias. You see it in the, 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 the lack of recognition around how much racism is involved in, in care, how people of color reliably get less care, not because of the intention of the doctors, but a lot of encoded biases in the system, which already exist. I think the intelligence and machine learning are going to be more and more relevant. And I think that's going to be a lift for healthcare in 2023. John, all I can say is the foot in two canoes does not sound positive for male fertility. <laughs> so, David, um, I've got a, a point of view here as the president of Walgreens Health, but what do you think about retail healthcare? A little bit like value-based care. It's been promised for many, many, for, for like almost two generations now of healthcare leaders. What's going to happen in the, with the convergence of healthcare and retail? John, I was just quoted in the uh, in the Boston Globe in the lead story about how hospitals are struggling, and I think it needs to be looked at in the in the overall environment. You know, hospitals have really been crushed by the public health emergency. You see, nursing homes are really struggling, and retailers have actually stepped up despite some challenges uh, of their own. Um, and you'll see that you know the pharmacy is becoming. We talked about the home being the center of the care, which I agree with, but pharmacies are a place that people you know, really rely on and pharmacists they're, they're able to see. And so I think that um, you're going to see, uh, you're going to see more growth there. It's going to be bumpy, uh, but you're going to see more retail oriented approaches, including, you know, urgent care, primary care, the physician, uh, the, excuse me, the pharmacist potentially expanding uh, their scope of service. I see more happening, John, because of what the retailers are doing themselves, including your company, but also some of the struggles in the rest of the healthcare delivery system. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really good point, David. I mean, obviously, uh, I, I'm betting my career right now on the fact that Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, and others can Best Buy will all take different paths to help I- you know, extend and connect the healthcare system to our most vulnerable. You know, one of the things the retail sector has is trust, traffic, uh, convenience, and clinicians. And I think the, all of that adds to the healthcare service stack, if you will, 
And if with by connecting everything or connecting more of the system through technology, the emergence, which we're not going to talk about because we both agree on it, uh, the standardization of data and data transfer is going to allow us to sort of seamlessly, perhaps with some artificial intelligence, connect more of those patients to more of those care access point at a time when care access still is important. Retail is going to be even more relevant in 23 than ever. And I think that what's going to be interesting is each of the retailers, each of these large scale innovative retail companies is going to take um, some, some, some common and some, and some not so common paths to, to, to drive that. So John, I think you need, one thing I'm going to predict is that you're going to come up with a little, a little catchier way of saying that in 2023. So I heard the, I think you need the four T's. <laughs> I heard trust, traffic, and then you said convenience and something else. What was that? What was the other one? Connection. So TTCC. You don't have to be illiterate. Trust, you know, stop. Yeah, I like alliteration, John, as much as I like assonance. But I say trust, trust, traffic, therapist. Or that's not good because that's a T, but it's the wrong sound. We'll have to work on that one. All right, John, I'm gonna I'm gonna make prediction number nine. Okay, for 2023, the last one. I think it's going to be a relatively mellow political year for healthcare. It's going to be a pragmatic year. There's not going to be a lot of stuff at the federal level. And there's going to be state level initiatives. That's going to be the, the laboratory of innovation. The states, they're going to work nicely together. And it's going to be mellow politically. Oh, you finally come up with optimism. First of all, that is only prediction number 10, David. Um, but let's be honest. The, the, we will not escape the divisiveness and division of this country. But hopefully, uh, leaders in the public sector can quietly work with leaders in healthcare to keep the politics of healthcare mellow. But I fear that at the, at the, whether it's about um, uh, gender identity or vaccine, I mean, you know, you got DeSantis already uh, uh, pre-disqualifying himself from a presidential race by suggesting that all the vaccine, vaccine information was wrong, having, having reversing a position where he actually wanted everybody vaccinated. No, I think the politics of healthcare are going to stay hot. I, I just hope that they stay irrelevant as well. But David, with that, yeah, David, I mean, come on. I, I, I thought you'd come up with something maybe we could agree with, but no, we will continue arguing well into 23. Well, John, I think unlike the person you just mentioned, we're going to stay hot and relevant in 2023. Uh, that's it for yet another episode of Care Talk. And in fact, that's it for yet another year of Care Talk, John. It it has been great uh, care talking with you this year. We got to do a little bit in person. We had some great guests. We had some great topics. Uh, you still are very reliable in calling me an idiot. And so I always appreciate that something to look forward to. Well, I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. David, I also always learn something from you. So thanks for another great year of Care Talk. And if you liked what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe on your favorite service. Thanks for listening. <laughs>